everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today on episode number 145 of the Real Life Runners podcast. We like to talk about running as a universal sport. It has a low barrier of entry. Anybody can do it. And if you run, you are a runner. Our journeys don't always look the same, but there are universal principles and challenges and struggles that we all understand. So today we're going to talk about the differences that some of us experience as runners and also some of the things that bring us together and connect us. This is the Real Life Runners Podcast, and we're your hosts, Kevin and Angie Brown. Thanks for spending some time with us today. Now let's get running. All right, so today we have a treat in store for you guys. We have our second interview episode ever. The first time that we're doing it where four people are not trying to share the same microphone. And two of them are not under the age of 10. Yes, there you go. So um, we, our first interview episode, for those of you who have been listening to the podcast for a while, was episode number 100. So that was last year sometime. Yes. Um, and it, we interviewed our two girls, and that was a lot of fun. And But like Kevin said, it was interesting to share the one microphone. So today we invited a friend onto the podcast and we wanted to talk a lot about you know, just being a runner and, and what running looks like for different people. Right. I mean, you've been wanting to do interview episodes for a long time and I've been a little hesitant at the idea just because of the whole setup involved and it's tricky to coordinate schedules. There's just some challenges that naturally come up and it's, it was holding me back from being like, yes, let's do it. Well, we kind of got pushed into, Hey, we should do an interview episode. We really need to do one that talks about the universality of of running, how we're all connected in this thing. Right, because there's a lot of unrest in the world right now, and there's a lot of you know, light being shown on the areas of social justice and equality and supporting people when they need support. And that's really what we want to do with today's podcast. So my friend Corey Brown is our guest on today's podcast, and we're going to talk to her about her challenges as a runner. We're going to talk about some of her successes and the lessons that she's learned along the way. We're going to talk to her about how running has made her a better version of herself. It's it's a great interview, and there are so many stories that she's sharing that I'm finding myself in side of oh, that yeah. I'm sure that you will find yourself right in there in that story and cheering along with the successes and cheering through the struggles. Right. And so we're, and then we're also going to go into some of the struggles that she has had um, being a woman of color that some of us may or may not have ever had to experience or think about in our journey as a runner and how we as the running community can help to support those runners of color and in the minority and help make sure that we're being welcoming and inclusive and supportive and doing everything that we can to promote equality both in running and in the world at large. Right. I mean, as we like to say, runners do hard things and being aware of the situation around us is is great, but doing something about it. And I think a lot of us are stuck in this world of we're not quite sure what to do. So that was something else we wanted to do with this episode is bring some actionable steps to light. Absolutely. All right, so that's enough intro. Let's get to the interview. All right, so we're so excited here today for our first interview episode, and we are here today with my good friend, Corey Brown, who is a fellow running sister here in the South Florida running community. She is a wife, a mother, an ordained minister. She is an entrepreneur. She is just accomplished in so many ways. Um, But Corey and I first connected through our love of running in our local running group here in South Florida, and she's just one of those people that I 
I think can bring so much to anyone's life. Um, I, I light up every time I see a post from her in our Facebook group. And I think that she just brings a light and um, a lot of love into this world. So that's really why I wanted to connect with Corey today and um, just learn more about her and her story with running and how it all connects to to all of us in general, because I think that a lot of us can hear ourselves in Corey's story. So Corey, thank you so much for joining us today on the Real Life Runners podcast. We're so excited that you're here. Um, So let's start out and just tell us a little bit about your story. First, tell us who you are. Give us a little bit more background about yourself. And then also tell us how did you get into running a little bit about your running story? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Angie and Kevin. I am just absolutely honored and humbled that you would ask me to be a part of this amazing podcast. I I simply love people and um, I am so thankful that you are so kind with your words. I feel the same about you. So I appreciate every affirmation and I receive every affirmation that you have given. Uh, My name, as Angie says, Corey Brown. No, we're cousins, kind of, sort of, maybe. We don't know. Um, We are cousins. We are cousins. In some sense. (laughs) We're cousins. And that's how one of our common things that Angie and I said, we're cousins and we're birthday twins. We are. We're so excited to have that commonality. But I'm from Michigan, born and raised, Um, moved here to South Florida about five years ago. So I have that Midwest um, in me, that hospitality, that love, that comfort, um, all the joy that comes from the Midwest. And brought it on down here to sunny South Florida. <laughs> and um, that it'll almost be five years coming up in September. I'm married almost 21 years to the love of my life. Um, we have two children. Um, and we are, as Angie said, we're entrepreneurs. Um, we are corporate America, nonprofit executives. Um, we're both ordained ministers. We love God and we love people. Um, and I think that's just a part of the joy that's a part of us. Um, and uh, we try to make sure that we spread our light, our salt and our light wherever we are. So I started ra- running, woo, maybe about eight, nine years ago. And my first reason for running is because there was a 5K that was going to be happening in East Grand Rapids, Michigan. So anybody out there that knows Michigan and knows East Grand Rapids, Michigan, shout out, shout out. <laughs> I to participate with a really dear sister of mine. She's really like a sister. Um, and participate in this 5K. So we decided to start training for this 5K. And um, we did the Couch to 5K program, of, I should say a Couch to 5K program. And we decided to commit to that. And that was going to be a huge, huge accomplishment of ours. And we set out to do it. Um, so that's how I started with running is being able to just decide that I wanted to do something different. I, was a, I ran track in high school. Um, I was a hurdler. So, <laughs> so being, uh, so athleticism was not new to me, but as you get older and life sets in and it just gets different, but um, I, I did Zumba. I was a step instructor. So again, movement was not new to me, but returning to running, you might as well say was new to me. And from there, I just continued the journey connected with um, uh, some a sister group within the Grand Rapids community and kept going from there. But not until I got to South Florida did I really take my running um, journey to the next level. Um, got my husband into it before we left 
um, Grand Rapids. I brought him in initially as a bodyguard. And then the running bug just um, caught him. He was a cyclist. He's a black belt in Taekwondo. So again, athleticism was not new to him, um, but running was. So now here he is, a track coach, a cross-country coach. And running has just become a part of our lives. And I'm telling you, the people we've met, like YouTube, we, we probably should have started a long time ago because we probably missed out on some blessings. I think that's a common um, thought for a lot of runners, right? Like once you finally get into it and you finally like see all the benefits that it can have in your life, it's like, man, why didn't I do this years ago? But you find your crew. Yeah. Yeah. You find yeah. people, you find those like-minded individuals that, you know, you, you can just connect with on a different level. And I think that that's something very common in, in running that people find. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And one of the things I love about running is that there's everyone on the pavement. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the pavement is the great connector. Yes. Um, and that's yes. what we've learned in, in running. Um, I never thought I would do anything over a 5k. I was, I always told myself who would like, why do people do that? Like 3.1 miles is plenty. Matter of fact, one mile is plenty. My testimony I, uh, is from minute to marathon. Because there was a time I could not go a minute mm-hmm. in with, you know, without in consistent running. And so for me to be able to now have four marathons, including a major under um, my running belt, that makes me proud. And um, I, I've never been on the pavement. I love seeing every shape, size, color, um, ability, I mean, personality, character. I mean, you know, we see some characters out on the pavement. Oh, yeah. Um, seeing that and that brings me great great joy so when you got into running like way back in high school level you were a hurdler did they just put you in the 100 hurdle and then every once in a while try and convince you to run the 300 hurdles and you tried (laughs) to hide during that event oh i did not let them do that to me kevin i was never a 300 hurdler if it was good just for me to get down that 100 string that was it but 300, oh no, that's like saying the 400, like, you know, the sprinters, you think they're going to die if they have to run a 400. A full so, lap? <laughs> a full lap? What? So I stay consistent to the sprint <laughs> um, of the 100, and then I, I did um, some relays as well. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I want to, I, I love what you said there, though. Like you said, my my testimony is from minute to marathon. And I think that that's just so encouraging, you know, to any of our listeners that might be new on their running journey. Like I think that so, so common, you know, we hear people that are just so critical of themselves, you know, and, and they don't think of themselves as runners. And, you know, part of our mission here with the podcast is helping everyone understand that no matter what, if you, if you are a runner, if you run, you are a runner, right? Because being a runner is a choice. And, and so making the choice to say, I am a runner and I'm going to do the things that runners do, right? Like it's not easy. I'm sure like it's not easy to get from one minute to a marathon. Like that is extremely difficult, but you are proof that it is possible. Um, and it's possible for someone that didn't consider themselves a runner, right? Like you, you, you didn't at the beginning, but so, so what it is like, what I guess, um, triggered you to sign up for that 5k originally, that first 5k that you and your friend did. It was something that we wanted to challenge ourselves. So when you, when you think about your life and how you need to continue to evolve as a person, there needs to be challenges that you intentionally put yourself in and places that are uncomfortable for you so that you can grow and you can explore things that you never thought 
were possible for you. So that's what drove us to the 5K. Um, now I run for the bling. So that's a whole nother story. <laughs> but at that time, <laughs> it was for the challenge of saying, you know what? I can do this. 3.1 miles. Um, may seem the number three sounds little, but when you put 3.1 miles out on a pavement, that is a huge accomplishment. Hence, why the different programs that are centered around that first level mm-hmm. of a race, which is the 5K, because we as runners and people who love this sport understand that once you get that juice going at your first 5K and you taste that bug, oh my goodness, your appetite changes for right. Uh, right. what we do. And so that, it was a challenge. It was something I wanted to extend and stretch myself beyond where I was at that time mm-hmm. and go into a space that was new for me, but I knew absolutely that I could do it. Yeah, for sure. So, so is that pursuit of challenge, is that what suddenly sort of transitioned you from 5K runner into ultimately multiple marathon runner is still the challenge plus a little bling? <laughs> yes, Kevin, you said it exactly. It was. And let me tell you what also transition is people. So people, uh, God uses people, places, and things, right, to, to challenge and to motivate and to encourage you. And when I moved down here, I still had this mindset that I felt that nothing over 5K was necessary. Like, who does that? Why? Why would Girl, you? Do let me tell you, like, when I went to 5Ks, I would, like, uh-huh. when I was first watching Kevin before I got into them, I'd see people, like, warming up. And I'm like, why would they run more than they have to? Do they not know that they have 3.1 miles to run? Like, why are there people running right now? I was so confused. Right. Like, why would you do that? Like, save yourself. Like, you yeah, have 3.1 exactly. miles to go. So when I moved down here, um, there was the Serena Williams quarter marathon race that would happen annually in um, South Beach. And so my husband and I moving down here, we love Serena Williams. Um, we saw past pictures. We're like, we should do that. Now, so quarter mile was what, 6.4, something like that, a little bit over a 10K. And I was very on the fence. So I met with one of our other um running sisters who you now know she was new from chicago um nikki sterling shout out to nikki i know she's a part of our tribe um yes so i met with her at starbucks and let me tell you i tell people to this very day that conversation and i call her coach nikki for a reason transform my mentality as relates to running it was her encouragement that said you can do that quarter mile you can or that quarter marathon you can do it Went out there. It was hot on South Beach, okay? Hot. And we were running around this boardwalk, and I was like, who? I will never, ever, ever do this again. I was committed. <laughs> I was not going to do that again. But I, it became contagious. The challenge of I can do more. I can do more. I will do more. And as you said, Kevin, from there, that's how even the desire or the taste for a marathon because again, I saw my husband do it and I was like, oh, I'm fine. I, I don't, I'm good. 13.1, oh, great distance. That's real good. That's real good. Then my husband did it, um, did his first marathon and the app, my appetite changed, my desire for challenge changed. And I believe that's a part of our running journey is that as you continue to accomplish and as you evolve as a person, so does your appetite. And that's what happened. And I thought I was one and done um, because something happened to me in that marathon that I told myself that was my number one fear of any race. 
and that was to be the final finisher. Well, guess what? My first marathon, I was the final finisher. Lights, camera, action, news, TV, everything. People celebrating it. But again, that was always my first, my fear was to be the last finisher. But I called the final finishers, not last. Because again, I still finished 26.2. I still got the bling everybody got. I still got a time. And at the end, I had a big celebration for me. News cameras and all. The following year, I went back and I paid it for it. My husband and I were the um, the chairs for the finish line, of starting finish line. And we stayed out there until the final runner crossed the finish line. So see, this thing with running is it's, um, such a perpetual uh, thing of human kindness and love that you just can't get away from it. So that's how you can continue to say, I'm going to sign up for another marathon and another marathon. And I, I don't know how I ended up with Chicago because I was sitting in my bed and Little Rock, Mar- and Little Rock again, that was for the bleed. But I was laying in the bed the night before. It's cold. It's rainy outside before we hit the pavement. And I looked at my husband and I said, I want to do the Chicago Marathon. He said, huh? <laughs> I haven't even gone out and did this one, which would have been my second one. And it just, again, a desire put a, a challenge to me. And that's, well, we're down with Chicago. Um, I, I love how you, how you just said, though, that, like, you know, you weren't the last finisher. You were just the final finisher of the marathon. And I think that that is a real fear that a lot of people have. Like, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy that you acknowledge that as your own fear. I, I know I've, I've heard this from our cross country kids a lot too. Like, I just don't want to be last. And I'm like, chances are you're not going to be last. Like, you know, we've been to enough of these races to know kind of where our kids fall in relation mm-hmm. to most of the other kids out there. And I said, you know, most likely you're not going to be last, but if mm-hmm. you are, then that's what happens that day. You know, you never know um, what can happen. But I think that, you know, that is a real fear that a lot of people have. So um, can you talk to us just a little bit about how you felt at that moment crossing the finish line? Did, was it was it your fear or was it the, the joy of finishing a marathon? Like how, how were you mentally at that time? Oh, I was a mess. Not out of that I was the final finisher. I was a mess. Happy Happy. because I had finished it. Yes. There's pictures of me just literally bawling and crying of joy and emotion. I screamed and the the race director came out and met me and he thought I was hurt or they thought something was wrong with me. And it was not. I just was so thankful and so grateful that I had the opportunity to accomplish something that I set out. Now, mind you, me, me, me being the final finisher had nothing to do with the fact that I did not train. I train and I train diligently. But something that day, by mile 11, my body said abort. <laughs> mile 11, my, my, my body said abort. And my heart and my mind said, no, we're not. But again, Kevin, when you talk about being challenged, and I talk about people, there was a young lady that was training with me. Her name is Mimi Welch. And she was training with me for my speed because she's she's faster. Um, Because her race was going to be the following month, um, Miami Marathon. So she was like, no, I'm staying out here. I'm I'm training with you. And I would try to encourage her when when we were in training, leave me, please go. Because see, then that became my way of excuse, right? Where I can say, let me bother this. I'm done. But she would not. So again, 
people are used in this sport more than they know. And that's why as a running community, we can't, uh, we can't afford to fall apart. We can't afford not to support everybody that looks however they look out on that pavement because we need each other to do hard things. Running is hard. It's not an easy thing. But baby, when it's together, you can accomplish hard things together, right? And that's what happened that day. She would not leave me. I she said, we can't, I came out here to do this with you. Had she decided to tell me to quit, I would have probably quit. Because mine, again, again, Molly Levin, my body said, this is it. I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was the heat. I don't know what happened, Kevin. But my body said, we're done. And I'm, someone remembers, um, they were Facebooking me. And they said, we saw you at the halfway point. It was like, she looks like she's finished. Yeah, I was. But Mimi was like, nope, we're not stopping. And so we pushed on for another 15 or so. I told you my 11, 15 more miles and we finished. So at the end, I could care less at that time about being the final finisher. I was just thankful that I finished my goal. And I had tons of people waiting for me through my um, Black Girls Run group. My family have flew in from all across the um, country. And I was doing it. I'm not going to get emotional because I left my dad. My my father passed earlier that year Hmm. and I was going to drop out. But I said, no, I'm doing this for my daddy. So I know it's my daddy that carried me through the rest of that. But I promise I was ready to give up because it was hard. It was challenging. My body hurt. But again, when God allows people to come around you and support you, as happens in the running community, you can do miracles. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you know, final finisher, first finisher, you're still part of the top 1%, right? Only 1% of people have ever accomplished a marathon and you are now amongst that 1%. So it doesn't matter that, you know, how many people were in that marathon, a thousand, a couple thousand people, like you're number 1000, you're number 2000 of like, you still beat every single person that's never, ever done one before. Right. Um, and I think that that's huge. So I, I love that you say that it was really the gratitude and, and you felt the joy of that moment. It wasn't that it wasn't failure. Like that was not failure. There was nothing fail, nothing failure about that. No, not even close. When, when you were pushing through ready to be done at mile 11 and <laughs> I mean, the the willpower to just keep mm. pushing through that i mean that's something that everybody recognizes mm-hmm. it's it's that stinging pain that hits somewhere around the one and a half mile mark in a 5k it's the burn that people f- start feeling somewhere in the teens of the marathon like mm-hmm. everyone's felt that it's it's everything in your body saying the appropriate thing to do now is to stop and yes. you saying not not today not today <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. I love how you said that, Kevin. The appropriate thing that <laughs> your body is telling you, stop, just just stop because yeah. you can. But your mind is saying, no, you also can finish. Yeah. And I think that's one of the beautiful things that running just proves to us over and over again is that like when our body and, and our mind is telling us that it's it's time to, to call it, it, it's time to be done with this, you can literally overpower it. Your mind can overpower and your body has so much more to give. Like you weren't even at the halfway point at that point in time and you still had so much more to give. You were able to finish that. You know what I mean? Like and it, it was it's amazing how much 
our mind lies to us, you know, telling us like, nope, you're done now. Like, no, I'm not. Like, I still have 15 more miles in me. Like, and your body did not shut down. Like it didn't want to do it, but you forced it to, and you, and it, it, it lived up to it. You know, it lived up to the, the challenge that you were asking it to do. So I think that everybody can definitely um, understand that struggle, whether or not they've done a marathon or not. I mean, we can have that struggle in a 5K, right? I mean, if you run a 5K and you're out there pushing yourself all the way in a 5K, you want to give up. You want to just start walking, even in like within the first mile. <laughs> yeah, like the, the worst sign I think in a 5K is the two-mile sign. Like the poor person that has to stand at the two-mile sign and say one to go. Like, no, it's not. It's 1.1 to go, you liar. Like, that's what I think every time I pass them. <laughs> or the people say, you almost there. You'd be like, don't, 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 no. don't say that. You're no. almost there. You're no. almost there. No, I'm not. 50 feet is a long way right now because no. I'm tired. I'm, my body hurts. And like you said, Kevin, every, the appropriate response, I'm going to use that again, would be to stop right now. But <laughs> our, our, our will, our human spirit, drives us to another place yeah. and that we are able to matriculate to all areas of our lives, mm-hmm. right? Our marriages, being a parent, mm-hmm. our businesses, our community, um, how we support one another, mm-hmm. that human will and that human spirit will, uh, will have us accomplish the unimaginable. Mm-hmm. And that's what being a runner is so exciting. You know, my doctors, two of them last week was like, oh, you do a lot of running. I do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they were like, well, your knees. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, yep, I've got well, two of those. <laughs> yep, that, that two of them. I say, yes, I said, well, and I mean, they were just saying, you know, as you get older, and I, I truly appreciated all they were saying. And I, I will look into swimming and some of the things that they would love for me to transition into. I said, but, you know, it's more than just, the the um the the mileage or the steps or the bling not much more but the bling um but it it is more to that every time we lace up and we go outside and we decide to put one foot in front of the other one step in front of the other one mile in front of the other we have made a choice with our human spirit to say i can accomplish something and that's what being a, a, a runner, a real life runner is about, right? Like this is my life and it's real, it's raw, authentic, and it's who I am. You nailed it. You nailed it right there. So I think that um, anyone that is listening right now can probably appreciate some of the ways that you've chosen to challenge yourself through running um, and, and, you know, explaining some of the struggles that you have to, to kind of fight that mind over matter thing. Right. And I think that every runner has experienced that mind over matter. Um, besides that alone, what other like challenges and struggles have you had specifically with running? You know, because I think like you said, running has helped you to challenge yourself to kind of see what kind of person you are to, to make you force you to rise up and rise above, but specifically like struggles with running, like what what else have you kind of struggled with throughout your running journey? Um, at the very, very beginning was making sure I had the right tools to do what I need to do. I am um, a well-endowed woman. Um, <laughs> and so being a well-endowed woman, um, <laughs> oh, I know there's others out there listening to this podcast who can identify with that. <laughs> um, I, had, <laughs> I had to seek out 
the right tools to do what I love. So mm-hmm. just as important as the shoes, what was the right shoes for me? What was the right clothing for me? What was the right equipment to support every part of me? And that included being well endowed. And so that was a struggle at the beginning, multiple sports bras or multiple pieces of equipment or paper or material up here so that I, one, did not feel insecure being out on the pavement as an African-American female um, who uh, looks doesn't want to look like she's not know she doesn't know what she's doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and also um, so that I would not hurt. I yeah. would not be in physical pain. Okay. So there was two, there was two sides of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and so from that, just doing the research and, and finding what worked for me, um, that was a struggle because I, I wanted to um, at times I was like, this is not worth it. Let me do something else. Um, that is maybe not as impacting on my body so that I don't have to worry about this particular issue. Um, but again, I loved it so much. It just was not an option. So those are some of the struggles. Also, some of the struggles is just, um, from a weight perspective, my weight has fluctuated you know, up and down. Um, I have hips, I have all, buttocks, I have all the things of, of, of some of the African-American traits. And so I've had to understand about how um, with weight and my knees and impact and eating and uh, making sure that I can still perform, based, but I have to make sure that I, I'm, I'm giving myself the proper nutrition. So all of this was a learning thing for me. It just, you see people out there, some so flawlessly doing it like Kevin and you and you're like, Oh, look at them. But you don't know their struggles. You don't know. I don't care what size they are. You don't know what they're struggling with. You don't know if they're running in pain. You don't know if they have the right nutrition. You don't know if they're hydrated enough and just around the corner, they're about to pass out. You don't know, but you have until you understand how to research and become empowered for yourself when you call yourself a runner. So it's more, yeah, people say running is free. It is per se, but there's a lot that if you really take this sport seriously and, and take what your health and wellness in the sport seriously, it's, um, the free is not free because you need to be able to make sure that you are equipping yourself for the right performance. And so those are just some of my struggles. It's like, you know, what, what I'm supposed to eat goo. What that that's nasty. Who, who does that? Or, um, power. Oh, that drink is nasty. Like again, just learning what is right for your body. Yeah. And you know, my hips don't look like somebody else's hips. You know, my, um, my legs don't look like someone else's legs. So I had to learn what was right for Corey so that Corey could still do what Corey loved. Mm-hmm. I love that you've got such an experimental mindset. Like mm-hmm. people look at me, go run down the street. They're like, oh, well, it comes so easily to me. Like, and that's their write-off. Like yeah. that, that's like their excuse for like why they can't do it because they don't look like Kevin. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Did you, did you know me when I was a teenager and my knees and my shins were killing me? Because yeah. I don't have any sort of hips at all. <laughs> like I literally don't have any muscles going on there. And so mm-hmm. me too bad because I couldn't make my legs work. Sure. I look like your stereotypical runner out there, but that, that was a hindrance when I first got into it until I started figuring out. And that was a process. Also, I had to figure out what worked best for me. And I think like everybody has to find what is optimal for them. Like what, what is it that they need to train the best? You know, I mean, you, you mentioned the example of shoes. So many people have come up to me before and they ask me, Hey, what shoes do you wear? As though that's somehow going to transform them yeah. into me as a runner. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah. 
I could tell you my shoe, but that does not mean that that's your shoe. Like, yes, we're all united in this running thing, but we're so many individual experimenters out here. Oh, yeah. Yeah. We, we, We each have such different experiences, regardless of anything, you know, like just your background, your journey to get to where you are. You know, Kevin, we often talk about how he started very early on in life. I hated running. I absolutely hated it until I figured out how to love it. Right. Like, you know, like what you were saying, Corey, like once you finally realize that there's so much more to running than just being fit or losing weight, like there's just so many other aspects and amazing things that it can bring to your life. That's when you start to like buy in and you're like, okay, I, I, I'm in, you know, now how do I make this work better for me? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so, so you mentioned, you, you mentioned black girls run as like part of your, um, uh, support system there at the, at the end of your marathon and, and, you know, being a part of that. Can you tell us a little bit more about that organization? Um, and, and tell us a little bit, like, why is it that kind of organization important for us to have in the running community? Absolutely. Black Girls Run is a movement that was started in 2009. So we are 11 years old. And the founders um, originally started Black Girls Run as that support and accountability for um, African-American women to prioritize our health and wellness. As African-American women, um, sometimes we we put different hindrances hindrances in front of ourselves as to why we cannot uh, work out, why we choose not to work out, Mm -hmm. or different situations and scenarios. And so this group was um, founded as a support system, common interests um, w- around health and wellness with a common looking tribe. And that's so important when you talk about um, being able to accomplish things. And so Black Girls Run, um, we have women who are, our focus is movement. Yes, running is, our, is one of our vehicles, but whether you run, walk, jog, Zumba, um, Pilates, yoga, we want you to be putting your health and wellness as a priority. Um, we could look, pick up any American uh, medical journal and look at the disparities in African-American women as it relates to heart disease, cancer, obesity, um, um, diabetes. And so health and wellness as a priority is the focus and the mantra of our Black Girls Run movement and doing it in a safe space doing it in a space where people are trusted and doing it in a space where you don't have to feel ashamed. You don't have to feel um, as if you're misrepresented because you are represented in this group to be able to be supported and encouraged, again, to prioritize your health and wellness. We want our African-American women to be living years beyond years and to be there for our children and our children's children. And if we do not take our health seriously and and put an attack on our health that won't happen um, because um, the some of the, the disparities the gaps are widening um, and so there's much work to still do we're still uh, banners and flags to lift up in this movement and that's why black girls run exists and it, it exists all across the nation we have chapters all across every state um, multiple chapters. I'm particularly an ambassador for the South Florida chapter. I, I also serve on the national board of directors for Black Girls Run. Um, and so again, it gives me a voice to be able to impact, empower, enrich, and engage other women to move. 
Yeah. And you got to walk with Oprah, right? My BFF. Girl. <laughs> BFF. I was January like, that's my 3rd. cousin right there. She's walking arm in arm with Oprah. <laughs> <laughs> that was and so that, awesome. That alone was such a privilege because that came out of her focus in life movement around with um, in collaboration with Weight Watchers. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, having people uh, put health and wellness as the the thing, not a thing, but the thing mm-hmm. in their lives. Um, and I, as a part of it, January third, twenty twenty, met my BFF, and the rest is history. Yeah, for sure. But I, I love what you say there about like empowering the women to take charge of their lives and their health and then have that affect their families and their communities. Because I, I really think that this is so important is like really trying to get down to those those grassroots levels, you know, and like starting with just one person, like creating a safe space. Like, can you tell us, talk a little bit more about that? Like, because I feel like, um, you know, running in general is a pretty safe space. And and I know that when you and I talked, um, last week in, in one of our private conversations, you said that you never really felt your color, like on the starting line, right? Like, can, like you never felt like someone was looking at you, like, what is she doing here? Because I feel like the running community in general is a very, accepting place. It's a very inclusive space. It's a very safe space for, for a lot of people. Um, so can you, I guess maybe just expand a little bit more on, um, because like, why is it still uh, another safe space, like within the running community, you know, that, that it's important to have something like that. Because the spirit of intimidation still exists when it comes to, I've journeyed to that space, that comment I told you where, um, I feel like when I get to a line that uh, it's we're all one, but that's where I've journeyed to, right? I've gotten to and that start space. there. Exactly. There's so mm-hmm. many people that that's not their testimony. That's not how they feel. Um, and so it's still intimidating for them to be around people who they perceive to be the stereotypical runner or, or someone who goes faster than them or someone who runs and doesn't stop and and, and does not walk. So creating that space and that safe space that no woman is left behind, that is one of our um, mantras as Black Girls Run, and that um, you are in a space where you can come, not be intimidated, and start where you start. The only thing we ask is that you start mm-hmm. and that you continue mm-hmm. and that you be consistent to you. Yes, um, before COVID, we have meet running groups or meet up, and, and that's one of our ways of um, being able to create community and hold each other accountable. But it was that was one piece of accountability, but the first accountability started with you, you being accountable to yourself. So really trying to break down those barriers of intimidation and those barriers of fear when it comes to running, because they may not look like that person, or they may not look like that person, but have to understand that we all started a journey. We all are still on a journey. And so it is, we call it your race, your pace, meaning it's, it's a commitment to you. It's not a commitment to anybody else. Even though we're together, we're still that individual commitment to what you need to do. I mean, I think so many runners can can connect with that feeling of, especially early races, mm-hmm. first few races they've done, like you get to the starting line and look around, and you're like, this is not, this is going to be a lot. I don't, 
I don't think I'm good enough to be here. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, it's, you know, color of skin or the size of a person, mm-hmm. or you look at somebody else and you see what they're wearing and you just assume that they have so much more race experience. And so it's going to go better for them. I think so many people are, are overwhelmed. So whatever community you can find that gives you that sense of safety that gets you to the starting line. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that's one of the things that we do with our cross country kids is like, there are going to be other people in the race that have run dozens of races, but you and everybody who has the same uniform on, you guys are all going to be screaming for each other, however fast you run it. Yeah, I think it's it's that commonality. I think that is is important because it's true though. You know, like when you look similar to a group of people, you, there tends to be like a, just kind of this inherent sense of comfort, right? Like, mm-hmm. like they, you, you kind of, they understand, I think these people probably get me, right? They, they look kind of like me. Um, and, and I think that's just com- something that's very built into just our human DNA, right? Like it's, it's, it's our brain's way of protecting us, right? Something that is not like us is a little bit more fearful because, it's, it's the unknown, right? Like, I don't know what that looks like because that's not exactly how I look, you know? So if I can find people, how it, like, and like Kevin said, whatever that means, if it's skin, if it's size, whatever, you, if you feel people, you find people that are more like you, that's going to create that safe space. And I think all of us can relate to that in some form. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's a confidence booster. So it gives you the confidence to accomplish the things that you're trying to do. And so when we talk about Black Girls Run, um, we have a, a one of our programs called Walk Before You Run. And these are, um, it's almost like a, it's similar to a couch to 5K, but we have different aspects of it because we, we intentionally put different um, parts in it around nutrition, um, around accountability, about uh, what you wear, like all of that. So it builds the confidence of a person to say, I can do this. I can get this done. And at the end, the, um, we go, once we go through the multiple week, um, program at the end is for the ladies to run their first 5k. When you have people who look like you, who have that commonality of you, the confidence is built there that allows you to exceed what you thought you could or could not do. Absolutely. And then it, it becomes like a gateway, right? I mean, essentially, it's 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 the gateway for them to then f- like start to feel more comfortable in the running community at large and then start to get gain the benefits of being a part and feeling like they belong, not just in this black girls run group, but also in the running community at large. Like, yeah, I, I can do this, too. I've run a 5K. I've done the same things that you've done. So it can give them that sense of empowerment and equality that I'm out here doing the same work that everyone else is. For sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. I totally agree. So how how do you think, I mean, I think that that's kind of, you, you're starting to give us a good idea of this, but like, how is running different for someone um, in the black community? And, and like, what do people in the black community um, have to maybe think about that people in the white community don't really have to think about or worry about? Mm-hmm. Um, so running for the black community, I mean, you think about track and field and you think about, you know, our, our typical sprinters or um, now in the um, sort of our African brothers and sisters are dominating, you know, the distance. But that's just, you know, these of late of these recent years. So uh, I think one of the things, unfortunately, in the African-American community that we have to think about is not being 
um, stereotype into what we can and cannot do. Yes, we're great football players. Yes, we're great basketball players. Um, but we also are great runners and we can do great things when it comes to running. So not being, let it be a, a, a stereotypical way of what our past athleticism is or is not. Um, also safety, like depend on where you are. I mean, we have the, the case of Ahmad. Um, that should not be in 2020, but I do know um, that across this nation, that from experiences from the different um, groups that I'm a part of across the nation, that um, different experiences still happen where um, others feel that that's not the space that we should be in. So if it's just out for your own run in the area and being safe. So thinking about safety, and I'm not just talking about watching a car come out of a blind spot because they're not paying attention. I mean, like literally like, why are you out here on this road doing this? And what is your motive? What is your intention? And again, it's 2020 and that should not be the case, but it is a real space. My husband, I'm married to an African-American man and my husband runs here in our community um, at 4.30 a.m., do you not think it crosses my mind that, oh my goodness, is he going to be okay? Is somebody out there being malicious, nasty, unhumane, and would do something to him? Absolutely. So am I consistently praying and asking, is he covered in lights? And do you look like you're a runner? Like, okay, where's your safety routes? Where's your excuse? And that's more for him as a black man than me as a, a, a black woman. Now, me personally, I'm not running in the dark unless I'm running with a lot of people, but that's his comfort level, right? And that's when he needs to do it. And he doesn't want anything to have to impede him, hence the color of his skin, from doing what he feels he loves to do. And But as his wife, um, I would um, not be transparent, authentic, and tell you if that does not concern me, especially just last week, he was out at 4.30 in the morning. And I looked at him, I said, you sure? You, you, you sure you're going out? And as a wife, you have to, you know, be um, discerning as to um, not to try to tell you want to be the help me, but you want to, you know, still massage him like you sure, but allow our men to have their ability to be men. So those are things that in the African American community that unfortunately we still have to think of. Yeah. Um, because yeah. it is real, especially in an environment like we're in now. It's hot on these streets right now. And um, you, you, you want to still be able to do what you love and what you're passionate about, but you've got to use so much wisdom. And I don't know if our counterparts uh, in the running community have to think like that. We don't. I'll tell you that. Um, you know, I... I... I resonate highly with what you're saying here um, because my husband also, like I, I, feel, I am a lot like you in that I won't run in the dark by myself because, and that's, that's the main reason that I joined our local running group. You know, the, the one where you and I connected, I, I joined that running group for safety because I just didn't feel as a woman, I didn't feel safe running in the dark by myself. So I said, well, in order to establish a morning running habit where I know I have to get up and run before the sun comes up, I'm going to have to find somebody else so that that I can feel safe. Right. And that's as a woman, as a white woman. And then Kevin, you know, as a white man, like I'm concerned for his safety and same thing with the lights, you know, he's got his lit up vest that he, he wears and, and everything. And I make sure he has his phone and, and stuff like that. Um, just for safety. But I don't, I've never thought like, um, is anyone going to question why he's out there because of the color of his skin, right? Is, right. is anyone going to question that he's out there 
committing a crime or doing something that he shouldn't be doing or in a neighborhood that he shouldn't be in. You know, I'm I'm using air quotes for those of you that can't see me, you know, like I have not had that kind of worry. I've had the other just general safety worries, but not the, oh my gosh, is something going to happen to him because of the color of his skin? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I I had a question pop up also in listening to you talk when you say that, um, people were stereotyped into like, you know, being sprinters or being basketball or football. Um, do you feel like when you, when you were talking about that being stereotyped into those different sports, is, is that a stereotype that um, the black community puts on itself or that gets put upon it? Or is it both? Um, I think it has just become a part of maybe even just sports culture. Um, so I don't even know if I can say that is one particular, if we do it to ourselves or others do it to us or, or other groups um, portray that upon us mm-hmm. versus it being more within the sports culture versus it being a race mm-hmm. or um, type of culture. So I, I can't, I don't want to say that we necessarily do it to ourselves um, because we simply go out to show our athleticism. And so wherever that brings us and wherever that puts us, that is. But I do think there is some level of society. Right. I guess I guess part of what I'm thinking, too, is like, you know, Tiger Woods is in golf, which is traditionally a a, a white dominated sport. Right. And he has had his many challenges. Right. Um, breaking into that sport because, or he did, or he still does. I mean, I don't care right. how many titles or how many um, accomplishments that he's had. Um, there's still um, a challenges for him being in a sport that predominantly does not look like him. Well, absolutely. And, and because a lot of the sports, you know, or the country clubs of like the good old boys, you know, the, the rich white people in these in the country clubs, I mean, that itself is a barrier, I'm sure, in a lot of ways. But I, I guess I'm, I'm part of my question, too, like and you look at the Williams sisters, right, in tennis, which I think I think tennis is pretty dominantly a, a white whiter yes. sport, right? Um, like in like the black community, is there like, so if, if there was someone that wanted to play golf or tennis or a traditionally quote unquote white um, sport versus, you know, basketball or something like that, um, would there be that pushback in within the black community of, you know, wh- what are you thinking? That's not like the sport that we should be in kind of thing. Does, does my question make sense? It does make sense. And okay. um, my answer would be absolutely not. No, okay, cool. we as a people are so um, feel like we can accomplish because we've had to overcome so much cool. through our ancestral history um, that uh, absolutely you've seen what's happened in swimming. You've seen what's happened in other predominantly non-African-American present sports what we've accomplished. And so, no, it would be no pushback at all. It would be more of an encouragement. Get in there and show them what we can do. Exactly. Please come on, do it. And because of that helps others see when you see young um, boys and girls of African-American that are in sports that are in school, they, they then are not pigeonholed into what this is what you can do. No, there's an example. I can show you case scenarios that we have the same, um, ability to accomplish great things. Uh, our greatest thing here in this country is the Olympics. So we have people who have, uh, or in this, I guess in our sports world, we have people who have won gold medals as swimmers, who have won gold medals as tennis players. You get what I'm saying? Absolutely. Who have done amazing things in, in sports 
that traditionally do not have a high African-American presence. So absolutely, if there's a gift, if there's a talent, if there's um, uh, something that we can cultivate, because that is our, our nature, that nurturing, that cultivation, then do it. You're supported, you're um, not hindered, and we want you to be able to accomplish great things. Yeah. I mean, at, at my school, and I mean, we do not have a, a large African-American population at my school. It is predominantly centered around the football team. And then lacrosse is a spring sport. It goes up against track and field. And there were a lot of kids who would play spring football. They wouldn't do lacrosse. They wouldn't do track and field. And eventually the lacrosse coach started looking and being like, the best athletes in my school are not playing a spring sport. They're just waiting for spring football to come. And once he started trying to pull the football players, like the the skill positions, like your wide receivers, your running backs, he tried to start pulling them onto the lacrosse team. It just it massively improved the ability of that team. And it, it had a little pushback at first of like, uh, I don't know about doing this. I'm the only kid out here doing this. And once there was just like the support came in, that was the key is they needed some support. And then to see that there was anybody who was successful on a higher level, because there's apparently some kid who went through, I want to say Syracuse, and he was, I think he was the best, like the MVP in the NCAA. And lacrosse is definitely not a strong African-American sport. But when they had somebody who had taken it to a collegiate level and then beyond that and to see the success at higher levels, you start seeing people that look similar to you that have made it beyond just a high school level. And then it gives you something to dream and achieve. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's so super important for sure for us to like see people that we can connect with in these higher roles, whatever they may be, right? In, in running, in sports, in life, as an entrepreneur, right? You want someone out there that's that's paving the way. And I think that's why it's so important for us to, to challenge ourselves and ask more of ourselves because we don't know who we might be influencing that might be a couple steps behind us that might be looking at us and looking at our journey and saying, wow, well, if she can do it, I can do it, you know? And, and I think that's why it is so important to just continue to represent all sizes, all races, all cultures in the running community and, you know, in just the world in general and being able to highlight how there are these people that are succeeding regardless of any of these defining factors that we're all a part of this human race and we are working to challenge ourselves to become better people to become a light in this world right and and running is one of the ways that we can do that so all right so i think that we have spoken here how you know running can help to elevate um all of us right as human beings it can help us to learn how to overcome challenges and to also set a good example for those that um might not be where we are yet. Okay. So, and I think that's huge. So um, you've spoken on, on the positive um, effects that running has had, like just on people in general, Um, specifically what kind of positive effects has running had on your life? And like, how does, how does running help to develop and, and kind of support more of that environment of equality of all people? So for me, running has the, the positive has definitely been around um, greater 
um, awareness of my health and and greater um, taking care of my health and, and making sure that I am um, fully aware of preventative care. I'm fully aware of how my body feels and keeping me in tune to my body so that if and when something is off, I'm able to identify that. And I believe running and being consistent in that has allowed that to be a physical manifestation for me as it relates to running. Also mentally, it has allowed me to understand that if I can do this, then I certainly can do that. Um, And so that really allows it it, and that transcends to many aspects of our lives. And I believe running that tenacity, that resilience, that perseverance in that is what allows it to matriculate to so many other parts of your life. Mm -hmm. So if you can accomplish why you certainly can accomplish X. Um, And then so with that, I believe it's so important to continue to Uh, foster a culture of equality within running because when you have something that can give you all of that and more, you should unselfishly want everybody to feel that way. Absolutely. We have to be a, a, a culture, a running culture of inclusiveness and not exclusiveness so that, uh, we don't, have people miss out on what we have been so blessed and so benefited for because of what running itself has given us. And so with that, we must continue to advocate. We must continue to bring awareness and support and and be intolerable of anything that will try to compromise that and steal that from anyone um, experiencing that. And that's why it's so important as a running community that with all the social injustice and the social um, situations that are happening, why we must stand up, why we must have a voice because we know what uh, what happens when we bring people together in a like-minded, common interest way. Yeah, and, and, and show people how to empower themselves and take charge of their life and, and teach them how to overcome these challenges and how to bust through some of these barriers and, there's, and these obstacles because, you know, um, equality and racism and equal rights for all, like that is something that I think everyone believes in, but I feel like there's also so much like barrier to like know how to get through it, how, how, how to actually come out on the other side. Like, I know there's a lot of people that are just kind of frozen. Right. And, and I think that's really important is just, just like in running, how we have to take the first step, right? You have to run that first minute before you run that marathon. There's always one step that we can take to move us in that direction. And that's really what I think we need to focus on is like, you know, as runners, as the running community, we know, how to support each other. So that is what we need to focus on. So what can we do as a part of the running community to help support what's going on right now, you know, help to support more equality for all, make other people feel welcome and included and and help to spread our joy of running and, and the things that running brings to our life so that more people can experience those kinds of things in their life. Um, one and two is um, to take a stand and not be silent. So because we are our brothers and sisters in the running community, when something disrupts the life and the, 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 um, the foundation of our fellow runner, 
we cannot be silent. We cannot not take a stance. So when we say Black Lives Matter, we mean that. And we mean that to be able to collectively say that together. Not that, uh, you know, you've heard the different back and forth discussions on all lives matter. That's, uh, that's the, that, of course, yes, absolutely. Yes. Nothing to do with the price of cheese in China when we're talking about this particular incident and this particular situation is Black Lives Matter. Because as you said at the top of um, the podcast, when we talked about um, it's not that uh, others don't matter or that things don't matter, it's like what is happening to a group of people that we care about within our community and we cannot not make a stance on that. So one of the things that we can do as runners is take a stand and to be public about our intolerance of anything that will compromise a, a group of people that we care about and we have adopted within our culture. And then also, I believe that there's ways that we can find to partner with people who don't look like us around our running community to see how we can continue to help and to be a part. So for example, I know that real life runners are is partnering with um, Black Girls Run, National Black Marathoners and others to do the 1 million miles for justice r- virtual race that started today and goes through July 15th, 25 miles for $25. And if you want to run additional miles, you can for an extra dollar. But again, it's around um, and that's going to support the work of a very highly respected um, and long standing organization, NAACP, here in our country that has fought for change and that is impl- helping to implement and adjust laws and, and um, legislation um, that is happening here within our nation as it relates to Black people. So those are ways that you can figure out how do I put my money, my physical, my, uh, my financial support to things that are happening within my community. Um, and so I, I believe taking a stance, not being silenced and support. So it's three things, stand, no, no, um, not being silent and support. Okay. Um, so I love what you're saying. Yes. Like, you know, anyone that's a part of our real life runners tribe, you guys can go into the event section there, um, and, and get the link to register. Um, and we can post that in our show notes as well for anyone that wants to support the race. Um, 1 million miles for justice. Like Corey said, you, you basically, you pledge 25 miles for $25 in support of justice for all inequality for all and doing what we can to help support those, those, you know, that group the black community that needs us right now because the black community is a very important part of the running community. And, and of course they're not the only ones that matter. And that's not what we're saying here, but we're saying they need our help right now like because they deserve to have as much respect and equality and um, inclusion as the rest of us do. Yeah. I mean, you really nailed the, the line and we've got to have go back and highlight this thing. That might have to be our quote from this episode that when running gives you so much, why would you not try to invite everybody into it that you possibly know? Like bring in everybody so that everybody can benefit from the greatness that running really provides. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, protect it at all costs. And that's what a part of when you ask what can the running community do is to protect anything that tries to disrupt or that tries to deter that. And so social injustice is one of those things that will try to disrupt or deter us being able to have that spirit of inclusion within our run into community. Right. So when you say like to speak up and not be silent, um, like obviously I think that it, it, it's people should understand that if they're in a, a 
group of people that, that has, you know, anyone says anything that seems racist or intolerant or not welcoming, you need to be the voice, right? I mean, that's something that we, te- we teach our, our children. Um, that's part of what being an anti-racist is, is not just sitting there quietly while people make comments that are off the cuff or, you know, not sensitive and just letting it go. Oh, they were just joking. Like, that's not, that's not what we do. Like, we don't, we don't just, it's not a joke, right? Because when you, when you joke at the expense of someone else, right? The expense of someone else's feeling comfortable and feeling supported, like you might think it's just a joke, but it's not to that person. And so um, as an ally, we need to speak up for that person that might not have the power to speak up for themselves. Um, And that goes for children. That was for anyone, you know, that's, that's, um, disempowered, you know, yes. in, in any sense. Um, so, so, besides, say- so besides that, you know, obviously just speaking up in our own local groups, is there, you know, a way that we should be speaking up or showing up outside of that? Or is, is that really kind of the most important thing? Speaking up has to become personal because if it becomes prescribed, it's not authentic. Right. So when you, when I say speaking up, meaning at the place that most is, and I'm not going to say comfortable, I'm going to say uncomfortable, uncomfortable for right. you as an individual, because it's not about your comfort level. It's not about your comfort zone, right? Because there's a group of people that are nowhere near comfortable. Mm-hmm. So for me, when I say speaking up, that is the deciding that you're going to have your voice and in whatever that looks like for you within your space, within your life, whether that's from social media, within your business, within your workplace, within your school, wherever that looks like for you. So that is not prescribed, but that is authentic. That's what I mean by speaking up. I love that. That's really good. It's not just, it's, it's actually speaking up in a, in a way that matters. It's not posting something on social media and then moving on with the rest of your life mm-hmm. to make it seem as though you're being supportive, but it's actually speaking up on a regular basis. It's, it's a personal choice right. to continue to speak up. Right. It's, it's, it's when your uncle makes that comment at family dinner that you speak up and say, no, we don't speak like that in this house or whatever it is. Right. Cause I agree. I think that, you know, it can be very inauthentic um, just to post something on social media. And like, you know, I know that's something that I've thought about before is like, I don't want to post something just for the sake of posting something just because people expect me to post something that's not right. Like I need to speak out and, and, and and do it coming from that, that place of integrity and authenticity and, and what is right for, for me and for the people that might be affected by me. Absolutely. Cause to me, advocacy is not, is a thread of your life, not a theme right now. There's the black lives matter. There's, there's, that's you, you know, a person who does not do it from that place of authenticity or that place of being genuine would do it as a theme, as a trend. No, advocacy is a thread of who you are as you, as a being. And so as you, the different examples that both you and Kevin spoke about, as far as speaking up, that means you have become an advocate and it's a part of your life. So even if it's not innate, it's something that you're willing to learn, that you're willing to engage in and allow it to mature and manifest in your life. I love that. Advocacy is a thread and not a theme. I think that's huge right there. It's, it's like, it's the whole action speak louder than words. Absolutely. Is there anything else you want to cover? 
No, I think this has been a great conversation. Uh, again, I'm totally privileged and um, that I've had the opportunity to um, have a dialogue and a conversation. I think this is where um, it's so important. Communication is um, one of the most critical um, and concrete ways that social that change can happen is through conversation. Um, but then action has to happen. Um, and so I, I am I am just again I'm honored for the opportunity and thank you for choosing me to have this conversation. I think it's been um, beneficial. I think it's been eye opening for both of us. And I pray it be the same for everyone who um, ears that it grace through this podcast. Absolutely. I, I, I can't thank you enough, Corey. Thank you so much for, for coming on today and just being so open with us and, and talking about your struggles and your challenges and, and also helping to educate us because I know that that's not your job to educate everyone else around you, but you, you truly are a light. So I thank you for everything that you've shared with us today. Um, and, um, you know, for those of you that want to, to connect with Corey, how can how can people connect with you online? Um, you can go. To, I'm on social media I'm at Corey um, L. Brown on Facebook. I'm also at um, Corey Brown on Instagram. Um, so please feel free to reach out. Um, inbox me. I'm willing to have additional conversations um, with people. And I think this again, this dialogue is how uh, we are continue to value our diversity, uh, but then also honor each other as humans. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah. That's beautiful. I just, I want to say thank you. And I mean, we're, we're stretching it along here, so I want to be respectful of time also. Um, but it, this has really been a, a very enlightening conversation to, be, to have. Yes, for sure. So thank you, Corey, so much for joining us today. We appreciate you. We acknowledge you. um, And thank you for all the things that you are doing to make yourself a better person, to make yourself a better runner, and to make this world a better place by sharing all of that with the world around you. Thank you. Thank you so much. All right. Well, that wraps it up. I mean, I, I love that. That was so fun. Yeah. I mean, the, the amount of connection, I did not expect to have such similar stories and feel the same things at, at different points as, as she has. Like I, I've talked to her before. We've talked about racing before and she's pointed out that we have some differences between the two of us. And yet there's such a connection, especially when she starts talking about the struggles of races. Oh, absolutely. So hopefully you guys all heard a little bit of your story in Corey's story, because I think that's one of the things that is so beautiful about running, just how it unites all of us. Despite our differences, we can all still connect and we can all still work for each other to make sure that people feel welcome in this community. And that's really what, what it comes down to. It comes down to that action. Like Corey was talking about, about. Yes, awareness is important, but we need to be putting out support, okay? Speak up in ways that are aligned with you, you know, that are authentic to you in in your life, in your community, and then add support in. So if you guys are interested in joining in the 1 Million Miles for Justice, there will be links in the show notes for that. We'll also have links if you guys want to connect some more with Corey online. And like always, just you know, do what you do, be a runner, do hard things, even when it requires you to be uncomfortable. Yes. Even when the hard things do not involve uh, running, there are other things in your life that can still involve hard situations. We also have a link to the million miles inside of our Facebook group, right? We do. Yeah. If you're a part of the Facebook tribe, it's in the events section. So you can find the link there as well. So 
Check out the show notes for all the links that you need. And remember that as a runner, you do hard things. You step up to challenges. You break through. And so do what you can to support equality and justice in your life and for the people in your life so that we can allow people into the running community so that, like Corey said, if, if you've got something that brings you so much to your life, why would you not want to share that with everybody else? So... Thank you guys for staying till the end of this episode. We feel that it was an important episode for us to have. So we appreciate you staying till the end and spending this time with us. This has been the Real Life Runners podcast, episode number 145. Now get out there and run your life.